Violence prevention groups in Chicago are tackling the typical summer, crin- summer crime surge in a new way with peacekeepers. Over the Memorial Day weekend, those peacekeepers headed out in their yellow vests to over 100 designated hotspots to de-escalate conflicts. Chicago Cred is one of the groups behind the project. And we are joined now by its co-founder and managing partner, Arnie Duncan, who's the former U.S. Secretary of Education. Welcome to the program. Hi, good afternoon. Thanks for having me and Terrence. Also with us, Terrence Henderson, Manager of Outreach Operations for Chicago Cred. Good to see you, Terrence. It's a pleasure to be here. And Chicago Sun-Times staff reporter, Frank Main. Hey, Frank. Hi, Sasha. Thanks. Uh, so, uh, Arnie, the, the Peacekeepers program, it, it's known as FLIP, which stands for Flatlining Violence Inspires Peace. How does it work exactly, and, and why is that the particular approach? Well, I think we have to keep trying to do some things radically differently <laughs> than we have in the past, because obviously whatever we've done or haven't done hasn't worked to reduce violence. And so what this is really, it's an extended outreach program, um, working with the folks in the community who you know, may still have, you know, one or one and a half feet still in the streets, but no one wants peace more than people who actually not just live in those neighborhoods, but live in those blocks. And seeing, you know, firsthand the commitment of flip workers to, to keeping their blocks safe, building safety in their community, to see the, the, the start of the transformation in their own thinking about, you know, in the past they may have helped to create some of that, that, that violence, been caught in those cycles, having them see themselves in a very different role very different set of responsibilities to their community, to their children, has been incredibly powerful. Chicago Cred was one of a dozen organizations splitting $11 million in state funding to actually get this up and running. Why was it important for Chicago Cred to be a leader in this effort? Well, I'll be very clear, we don't take any public money, so we didn't share in any of those resources. What we do help is, you know, train and, and put the program together. Okay. And we, we all have to work. We all have to do this together. Um, everybody has to have that real, what we call LTO license to operate in communities. And we want to work directly with those, you know, those neighborhood organizations across the city um, that, that have this commitment and have this heart and want to see those communities become safer. Frank, the, the shooting and homicide numbers from over the, the long weekend, I think they underline just how important this type of work is. So can you just remind us what we saw citywide over Memorial Day weekend? Sure. I mean, we saw uh, more than 50 shootings this weekend, and um, that was more than in previous years. It's uh, this, But this weekend is traditionally a violent weekend. Um, the police put a lot of resources out there, and I know the violence intervention people have for years also been involved in trying to keep the peace, so to speak, in these neighborhoods. Um, there were there were shootings all over the neighborhood. It wasn't just combined to one place. Um, uh, so, um, but that also is typical. Uh, it's kind of the beginning of the warmer uh, weather when when uh, violence seems to be kind of coupled with uh, with you know with the with the temperature and with summer and and so uh, mm-hmm. so yeah. I mean that 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 is what happened this weekend. Which neighborhoods are our peacekeepers focused on, Arnie? Well, there are uh, probably 15 of the most violent neighborhoods around Chicago, and it's, um, you know, the, the citywide numbers are absolutely devastating and absolutely unacceptable. So it's a, it's a, you know, it's a very tough story. It's complicated. The flip side is on the south side in Rosen, Pullman, West Pullman, where, you know, there's the, cred, the cred workers are, and then in North Lawndale. 
um, out south in two of the neighborhoods, we had no shootings. We had we had one non-fatal. Uh, same thing on North Lawndale, and then we had teams actually assisting in Millennium Park and 31st Street Beach, and then um, mm-hmm. Oak Street Beach as well. So people were working incredibly hard, and I can just say well, I'll never mention the names of groups, but there was you know there's one shooting, um, which is one too many. We're, we're, we're numbers are low, but you know just seeing Terrence and the team work so hard to try and prevent the next shooting. And talking with people on both sides of the conflict um, mm-hmm. is difficult. It is not easy. It's, it's draining. Um, but it's remarkable work that absent that, and knock on wood, is always you know, precarious. Knock on wood, there has not been a subsequent shooting, and we always worry about the retaliations. But just to, to see that firsthand, that's what this is about. Yeah. This work is about. Terrence, tell us from your perspective what that experience has been like, being out there, working on the ground, um, that experience is just, uh, it's necessary. Yeah. Um, we have to be proactive. You know, everyone can react to things that happen, but to be able to be proactive before things happen is the key to it. Um, and this strategy seems deemed itself worthy of giving us the opportunity to get in front of a lot of activity. Mm. Yeah, so so help me visualize what the job of a, of a peacekeeper looks like on the block-by-block level. Okay, so on a block-by-block level, First and foremost, we have to identify the credible individual, the credible messenger, um, the one who's ready to make his transition um, but still has a a good wealth of knowledge of what's going on in real time in those high-violent areas. Um, once they are recruited, um, we train them up, and their days just look like average days. Um, they are always on these blocks, typically. Okay. Um, the best peacekeepers have been peacekeepers before they even identify the term, you know. They may see people arguing. They try to get involved, um, de-escalate situations, keep the block clean for whatever reasons, you know. So they already had that instinct they already beforehand before they were given a title. Yes, ma'am. Um, and those are the best ones. Um, I mean, but then you may have to get some guys that, that have the ear of the groups completely. Um, you have to work through them because, you know, they accept the message more from their peers, the guys that, that they live around that's in the trenches with them that mm-hmm. that's in the element with them and understand what they're going through it has to be a relatability um effects there and you were out there uh, over the past weekend yes so what did that look like for for the peacekeepers um it looked like um ownership accountability um the neighborhood taking the neighborhood back um it's just seeing the people who care about their land being able to put positivity into it you know righting their wrongs um, bringing the public out, bringing the stakeholders out, being able to see people just come out and enjoy the, the weather, enjoy their communities and yeah. not just be, you know, jailed, house arrest in their own homes. Yeah. And it sounds like from, from what you describe, the people who are taking part in this Peacekeeper program, they have close ties Absolutely. to the neighborhoods that they're working in. Absolutely. I mean, you talked about, you know, guys um, being the ones that have the ear of, of the folks that are out there um, maybe doing not good things. Absolutely. Um, you know, everyone needs to hear whether right or wrong, they want to get validation behind what they do. Um, so, you know, our peacekeepers is not giving them the negative energy that they're looking for. They're giving them the positive. You have to be able to combat as much negativity with positivity. You may see a, a bad social media post. They're going to go to that individual, man, please take that down because, you know, it's causing chaos amongst groups. So, mm-hmm. you know, just being able to see things like that and get in front of it in real time, um, be a 
a conduit kind of between groups to yeah. be able to get the message in between because of course they may not want to go directly to the group but to have a third party in the middle that's going to you know facilitate reiterate the messaging to those groups in a safe way um, the communication is really what's been the main factor of why this um, strategy is super successful. Yeah. Frank, many organizations in Chicago, they've employed so-called violence interrupters over the years. We've talked about this before. Uh, these are folks who work directly with people to to de-escalate violence in the neighborhoods, very similar to what Terrence is describing for us now. How does this latest peacekeepers effort compare with other strategies that we've seen in Chicago before? Well, it's it's an expansion of what has been going on in Chicago since 1999, really. I mean, Dr. Gary Slutkin, way back when, um, wanted a, uh, a way to treat violence as kind of a disease. And so he thought interrupting uh, retaliation was the best way to do it. So we had ceasefire interrupters in Chicago at a very, you know, for since the early 2000s. And you know, so this is a, a well-trod uh, strategy in Chicago and, you know, has a, a track record. Um, and um, I think this current iteration of it, which is actually goes back to 2018, if I'm correct, with the peacekeepers. That's correct. Um, they, um, you know, it's, it is similar to, to what the uh, intervention workers were doing under ceasefire. Uh, these, these guys and gals are not... Um, uh, fully uh, fully trained as outreach workers. I've heard them described as apprentice out, outreach workers. Who, but they, but they, you know, they have, uh, you know, as 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 we have discussed, credibility in the street, and they can yeah. they can intervene in these situations. Um, the issue that I, I'm always amazed with, I guess, is that um, over these you know many years, twenty years more than that, uh, the police still haven't bought into this completely. I mean. I know there are some um, beat-level cops who, who appreciate what's going on, but, I mean, you had a comment the other day in one of our stories where a former uh, high-level police, uh, former police commander uh, uh, said, I'd rather have two cops than 30 of these peacemakers. Mm. So what I, do you think about I, that, Terrence? I, um, I think that's, um, I mean, you have that to That cops act. aren't buying into the work that you're doing. So the ones that have seen us work in action, the ones that have seen us in action have bought in. Um, I think that it's super critical for law enforcement to to get behind the strategy because, again, we're able to get in front of things. Um, police just react. They just they just react to things. Um, and, and they're not going to be accepted everywhere. So, like, the peacekeepers can submerge themselves within a group in real time, and that group is not going to disperse. But mm-hmm. if, if a... a full uniform police officer come on scene and everyone may scatter around. People may begin to run or stop doing what they're doing. Yeah. Like we're, we're able to infuse ourselves to actually see what's going on, talk to them, hear them, speak their language, and then get in front of the situation. So cred outreach leader, Jason Little was, was out this weekend in the North Lawndale community and he talked with WBEZ's Melba Lara. Let's listen to that. Okay. If we see a group of teens, then we engage with them, not to just, Stop, you know, don't be down here doing this. Don't be not. But we walk up to them. We shake their hands. How you doing? They might be listening to me. What's the music you're listening to? And then we start to walk with them and talk with them. And now we're starting to be a relationship. And then as relationships goes, then guess what happens? We start to engage saying, you know, let's just be peaceful. Let's have a good time. And a lot of times, even with this weekend, you know, we had no violence downtown. 
So when we when we talk about violence prevention, Terrence, what, why is it important to focus on young people and, and build relationships? I mean, because you have to be able to relate. Um, as you get older, it began, it begins to be a young versus old. Um, people wants to be able to hear and see things from their peers. So, you know, you have to see your peers doing positive things and they would accept that a lot better than hearing from an old guy. Yeah. Well, Jason Little focused more on the children lost to violence. Let's listen to that. These are people's children. When someone loses a child, it's, it's, it's the most difficult thing that they have to go through. I mean, we spend time with these families after losing children to gun violence in our city, and these parents and these families are broken. You have Now you have another generation, if they had kids, are father or motherless. So, Arnie, many people consider this repetition of violence an intergenerational problem. So how do we as stakeholders in our community, one, identify children that are headed down this path, and two, try to intervene without being the old people who are telling them what to do? Now, and it's such an important question. And um, so just very concretely, for me, the, the outreach efforts, whether it's our outreach workers or the, or the FLIP team, that's really like our HR function. And it's important to intervene in the moment, but you have to have programming behind that. And so then recruiting those, those young folks into our program. And Terrence and I talked this weekend about one particular young guy who's extraordinarily at risk. And Terrence was like, we have to get him into programming. And so that, that's the goal, because you're not going to solve this stuff overnight. Um, these young people have grown up around violence, have grown up with trauma, and we have to help them heal. So in our Chicago CRED program, we're down to 13-year-olds now. That's not where we started, but mm-hmm. unfortunately, young kids are now caught in these cycles of violence. And so that's who we're working with. Um, we also work directly with, with the Chicago Public Schools now. These are emerging partnerships, but they were having me meet with families when the, when the young kids had already been killed. And I, I was willing to do that. It's extraordinarily painful, obviously. But I was like, you know, please give me the kids before they get, before they get yeah. killed who are most at risk. And let's bring them into programming. So we, we brought a couple of those, those uh, kids into programming. We helped one move out of town because it wasn't safe to be here. Um, we literally, coming up, we're going to have a young guy who was very, very at risk uh, graduate from high school. And is, uh, has a scholarship to, to go to college now, um, downstate in Illinois. Wow! And so we we have to you know we have to do this work with I always say tremendous humility, but also tremendous urgency. And we all have to work together. And so getting to these kids as early as possible mm-hmm. and trying to help them you know put some put some life coaches around them. Right, help right. Them, you know, with some clinicians, some some trauma, help them travel out. We took a a lot of young kids to uh, to New York this weekend to get them out of, you know, get targets off their back, get them out of the city to be safe. But also just, you know, they've never been out, never been on an airplane, never been in another city. You don't know what the big world is like. And mm-hmm. these chips keep our young people safe. Um, but they, they can also be transformational. So there's no one easy answer here. But if we don't address it, if we don't get to the young kids, then these cycles will absolutely continue and be in a generational, to your point. Frank, from February to May, when flip workers were deployed, targeted hotspots actually saw a 21% decrease in shootings compared with a 14% decrease across the city. So as a a crime and and public safety reporter, how are you going to track success of this program? Uh, I was actually more interested in another stat, and it's not in front of me, but essentially with something like 80% of these hotspots did not have a uh, shooting over that period. And, uh, um, you know, those are obviously very promising numbers. Um, And, uh, you know, 
talking to the researchers who are looking at this, they say, you know, it is promising that they need, a, they need two or three years of data to, to come up with a scientific an analysis of this. But, you know, off the bat, it looks good. I mean, obviously. So, um, you know, as a, as a crime reporter, I, I'm, you know, obviously skeptical of, of um, these kinds of, of data until, in, until there's, you know, until you can say it's, you can point to a study that says it's scientifically valid. But yeah. I mean, at this point, it looks good. So, Terrence, beyond Memorial Day, how are you planning to sustain these efforts through the coming months and, and just keep folks motivated? Um, just continue to be hypervigilant, um, continue to show a massive presence, um, continue to mediate conflicts, um, continue to build relationships. That's the most important key, just to continue to build relationships, stay proactive. Um, you have to... We have to, uh, you know, just extend our services to everyone. Collaboration with law enforcement, collaboration with other outreach organizations is key. Um, just to have that professional understanding to make sure that we're targeting the right blocks. Uh, why are you doing this? Um, we're doing this because we want our neighborhoods safe. You. Why are you doing this? I'm doing this because I work in the neighborhoods that I live in. Um, yeah. I want my city to be safe. Um, we get a bad rap. This is a beautiful city. And we have some bad players um, in the city. But it's not... It's not enough effort. Like, I commend, you know, you guys for having us out and getting this messaging across, seeing what we're doing on in the papers. Like, we have to be able to get the visual out there because it's a lot of people out here that's trying really hard, that's risking their lives out here in these hot spots on the front line to reduce gun violence transformatively. And we have to continue. It's, it's not a, a one-day fix. It's going to take as much as much putting into it as it was the damage that's been put into it. So that's been years, generations, decades. So we have to keep going. Social media, we have to flood social media with the imagery. And we have to continue to identify the right people um, yeah. and hiring people within those neighborhoods. And I, I believe that that should work on all fronts, not just the peacekeepers. But I think that when you have people that's invested in the neighborhoods, that's mm -hmm. when you'll get a better outcome. You know, So if police officers not working from Indiana in Roseland, but in Roseland, from Roseland, they'll feel different about the work that they're doing. It uh, makes I mean, a difference. Yes, absolutely. That's Chicago Creds, Arnie Duncan and Terrence, Terrence Henderson and the Sun-Times' Frank Main. Thank you all so much. No problem. Thanks for having me.